Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are um, two wonderful parents of a gay son, um, Jordan and Liz Sharp. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. They are joining us from St. George, and they'll talk about what they do professionally. Um, I read a Facebook post in February 2023 that Jordan and Liz wrote about their gay son, Sam, and it's one of the very best parent posts I've ever read. And um, it was shared by 137 shares, 324 comments, 600 likes, and it just is a wonderful post to help bring understanding to LGBTQ youth and what parents can do to help them feel loved, supported, and understood. And I reached out to Jordan and Liz and asked them to be on the podcast, and they agreed. And so they are joining us from St. George. And our joint prayer is that this will be helpful, especially to you as parents, you as local leaders, or you that are LGBTQ out or closeted, that the things Jordan and, and Liz share will be helpful for you. They're the parents of five kids. Their oldest is turning 18. That's Sam, who's gay. Um, and um, they'll talk. I And at this point, I'll probably just, maybe you could first just introduce what you do. I know what you both do career-wise, but Liz, why don't you share our listeners with our listeners what you do for a career? And then Jordan, you. I am a registered nurse right now, and I work for a hospice company, which I love so much. It keeps me centered in life. It helps me serve my fellow men, but it's it's just a really rewarding um, job. Great job for our family, for me. And I'm the vice president of marketing and communication at Utah Tech University, formerly Dixie State University. So many of you may have been following a little bit that transition, which has been a couple year transi- transition. I over, I was over that entire wonderful and wild ride. So that could be an entirely separate pro- podcast. But um, my uh, my expertise is really branding and marketing, and and have done many major rebrands over the years, and worked for a lot of cool places. But that was a that one was my most recent. So Utah Tech University, <laughs> here we are. And you're Dr. Jordan Sharp. I think you have a doctorate degree along the way. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm a marketing guy, listeners, as you may have picked up. So we're starting this podcast late because I've been talking to Jordan <laughs> about just the complexity of a rebranding and have been aware of some of the tension in our in our state as that has happened. And um, the really wonderful work, analytically driven, but then having to get different contingent constituencies on board, some major undertaking. So um, thank you for that. And I think it helps role model how um, in society, sometimes we change as we um, know better, we do better. And and the work that you did and other people involved in this to um, help Utah be a better state. So and you've got a shirt on none of our listeners can see that says Utah Tech on it with the new logo. That's right. We're and that's proud. a terrific <laughs> university and a wonderful part of Utah. So I think the work that you're doing there and others helps um, set the stage for continued success for that wonderful university. Um, talk, I talk just, you know, at this point, you can just share your story. You've got a gay son. I don't know if you want to start there or just um, your Facebook post or just it's your turn to kind of share your story. Well, let me just start out by kind of telling you a little bit about the way Jordan and I started out our life and marriage. We both were raised in 
amazing homes. Both of us came from wonderful, loving families. I was from a really small town. My dad was a cattle rancher. My mom was a nurse. My husband was raised in a, um, in Sandy, Utah. Um, after Jordan's LDS mission to Mexico, we met at college. We met at Southern Utah University. We quickly became friends and just got along so well. We love to laugh together. We love to go out to eat together. We love to travel. We got married in the Salt Lake City Temple, started a school up at the University of Utah, bought our first home, remodeled it, kind of moved around the country a few times just to different places to do summer sales, like a lot of college newlyweds do. And, and then we decided to start our family. And um, what, while we were starting our family, we were just kind of finishing up our degrees, me as a registered nurse. And then Jordan went on to get his master's degree and a doctorate degree, which was a really hard, stressful time in our life. But we really grew close. We, we helped each other a lot get through school and and while raising and having children and working and all those things. But we were just the typical married couple. We had challenges, but we loved the gospel. We both were very active and very excited about serving and being in the church. We've served in various capacities. Jordan's served as a bishop. I've served as Relief Society president, lots of different callings. But we've always been very proud and very committed to our um, religion and our, and our faith. That's really been our everything. I think a lot of uh, listeners can respond to that. It's, it's just the foundational piece. And, and that I think where our story kind of begins, at least as far as this is concerned, uh, and, and we're going to share a few little things in detail, but I promise it, it, it comes together and you'll see why we're sharing some of these some of these pieces. But I was called as a bishop at about 33, and I want to describe our life at that moment. And, you know, everybody's hectic at that time, but Liz was working and going to school full time. I was working full time, teaching part time to pay for my doctorate courses, which I was taking full time and simultaneously doing my dissertation so I could get done quickly. And Liz was um, pregnant with our fourth. Wow. This is, our, this is our life. And it was just, just chaos. Right. <laughs> and then we get called as a bishop and I had never been in a bishop brick. <laughs> I had never been in a ward council. And all of a sudden I, I thought it was actually a practical joke because one of the state presidency members was a friend of mine. And I thought it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, long story short, it, it was crazy. And I, I tell you that only because you know, when the Lord, um, during that time of our life, and I'm just speaking for myself, but when he gave, I, I relied on him so heavily and he wouldn't mince words. It's like, I, I needed so much help <laughs> that he sometimes just gave it to me totally straight and I needed it. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time of connection and, and revelation. And so during that time, um, to back up a little bit, the first home we had in St. George was a family across the street called the Mitchells or that's not across the street. It was right behind us. We shared yard. We, yeah, we shared a fence. And one of their children, this will get a little confusing because my name's Jordan and, and their daughter's name was Jordan, but they had a little Jordan who was this wild, wild child. I remember one time 
we lived on a hill and I saw Jordan going down on this wiggle bike at Mach 30. And I started chasing her because <laughs> I thought she was out of control because she was like two. And when I got to her, she was smiling and totally knew what she was doing. <laughs> and I thought I was saving her life. But that was Jordan. So we got to know the Mitchells. And when we moved, we moved a few years later to another neighborhood in St. George. Well, unbeknownst to anyone, the Mitchells moved again and they didn't know where we lived and they moved across the street from us. <laughs> So um, we knew the Mitchells well. They had five beautiful children. Anyway, uh, so I'm in, oh, six. We have five. They had six. That's right. Too many kids to count between us both. So I'm the, I become the Mitchells bishop and our family's bishop. Well, Jordan at that point was about 14. About 14. And I want to tell you a little bit about Jordan, because this is, this is when the Lord began to teach us about this new space. That we have found ourselves in. I have a hard time telling this story, and we did get the Mitchell's permission and Jordan's permission. I, I want to clarify that, and and it may be a little bit triggering. I am going to talk about some some difficult things here, so I want to give a, a warning there. But one day I woke up and I'm very busy, as I've described, and I had this rare opportunity I had to go to a small town outside of St. George. I had to deliver some things to the mayor of Enterprise City. And I could have mailed it. I could have sent my assistant. But for some reason, I had this, just you need to take this personally to the mayor. I was busy that day, but I cleared my schedule. And I, I thought before I left, I called my wife and said, hey, why don't you drive with me to Enterprise? It's beautiful. Just get a babysitter. Let's drive to Enterprise. This was rare for me and Liz at this point. So we had this great morning where we got to, it's a beautiful drive if you've never done it. And you go to Enterprise from St. George and it changes from the Red Rocks to the mountains. And it's just fantastic. And we get there and we make our deliveries. And as we're leaving, I see a big sign on a farm fence that says fresh raspberries. So I say to Liz, should we get some raspberries before we go home? She says, sure. So we just stop and I'm just planning on grabbing raspberries and getting back to work. And we meet the, the this beautiful farm and this farmer and his wife are there to meet us. And she says, you know, you can pick your own raspberries if you'd like. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. And Liz is like, yeah, we'll pick our own raspberries. And I'm like, Liz, I got it. I'm not picking my own fruit. Like, I do not have time. So anyway, but she, of course, wins. And we're stuck. I'm begrudgingly picking fruit. Well, the farmer, she said to us, it's very cathartic. Yeah, she did. You take this little basket out and you go through the raspberry patch. It's very cathartic. And I said, yeah, I want to pick our own raspberries. I don't want to buy a flat that was already picked for us. So I talked him into it. I have a picture of us actually picking raspberries. Well, while we're picking, we come to discover that these farmers are, it's Jordan's grandparents. Wow. And so we start talking about our, our connection with the Mitchells. And specifically, we turn to Jordan, which. Jordan, um, at this point, is a closeted gay youth in the church, has never come out to me as a bishop or anyone. And but we for some reason, we turn to Jordan and we're talking about Jordan and how great she is and some of the challenges she's having. And we're connecting with these good farmers in the middle of the day, talking about someone that we connect with and love. And we pick our raspberries. So we head home and it's about four o'clock. And so at that point, because we could just, it just took a while, maybe it was a little earlier, between three and four. And I say, you know, I, I don't really have time to go back to work. I'm just going to take 
this never happens. I mean, how I can count on one hand the time I've been home at four o'clock. And we go home. And so the bishop and this nurse walk in their home at four o'clock in the afternoon. The second we go in and shut the door, our daughter, who's friends with Jordan's older sister, younger sister, Jocelyn, come running through the door. And they say, Jordan has fallen. They said, mom, mom, get your stuff, get your nursing stuff. Jordan is really hurt. And there's blood everywhere. And I said, okay, well, all right. I I don't have time to grab my nursing stuff. They said, I think she fell off her skateboard. So I, our front door faced their front door. We were very close. We lived in a little cul-de-sac and the Mitchell's front door and our front door faced each other. So I went through the front door. I didn't have shoes on. I remember walking across the sharp rocks with my feet and my little girl, Chloe said, mom, she's really hurt. She's not talking. She's on the ground and there's a gun on the ground. And so at that moment, I was running really fast and I went through their house and went in their garage and I saw Jordan laying on the ground in their garage with blood everywhere. I saw a rifle on the ground. Um, I hurried and called 911 and I went over to feel her pulse and I couldn't feel a pulse at first. Um, I just saw a lot of blood coming out of her mouth and I was going a million miles an hour. Just, I couldn't believe that what I was seeing was not someone who fell off their skateboard, but someone who had just taken a gun and put it under their chin, a young girl that I knew and loved. So I turned her to in the recovery position. Um, and at that point I, I actually saw her kind of take a breath. I had wiped everything out of her mouth and I said, I think she's breathing. And, and the EMTs, they got there actually very quickly. My husband, Jordan, was flagging them into the cul-de-sac and telling them which house to come to. And all the kids were running. The parent, Their parents happened to be gone at that time. The kids were old enough to be alone. They were just kind of running back and forth between our home. And so my husband ended up waiting for Jordan's mom so that he could drive with her to the hospital while they took loaded Jordan in the ambulance. And I took all the children back to our house because it then became kind of a crime scene. The police had to come and do a thorough investigation and question all of us. But I immediately went in my living room and knelt down with the Mitchell's little children, my little children and said a prayer that she would be okay and that we would have peace and comfort. I knew there was going to be a lot of trauma with my own daughter, but also with their family, of course. And I had an immediate impression that spoke to me so clearly that said, if this has anything to do with the church, we have a big problem. We'd, we need to do something about this. I never, I, I really sadly didn't really look into LGBTQ issues within the church. I just kind of accepted what the church taught us. I didn't know my own child would later come out as gay. It was a thought that came to my mind very clear. 
and just came after a after a fervent prayer and kind of a crisis situation. And I had kind of a similar but a little bit different. So as Liz was dealing, of course, with Jordan, and I'm calling the parents with the most terrible conversation and phone call ever. And they're getting to the hospital. And so I, I take Shanine and the dad meets us there and the other siblings are showing up. And then, uh, you know, the, the grandparents who we had just met were just at their home. They show up to support, right? And I remember, and then there was this mass chaos and all of this. And they said they had kind of gotten her somewhat stable and, and they were about to move her from the ER to a, to surgery. And, and the nurse came out and said, if you want to give a blessing, now is the time. So I offered that opportunity to the dad. He was just too frazzled. He said, would you mind, Bishop? I said, sure. Again, this is personal. This is not something I ever probably sh- thought I would share on a podcast, but if it could help someone else, that's kind of why we're here, right? So I give this blessing to this sweet girl who I have known since just a baby, who I've lived next to and watched grow and just felt a closeness to and giving this blessing. What do you even say? What what do you, you know, what do you do? Well, luckily the Lord took over because I, like I said, I was a very young, dumb bishop and he would just take over for me. And I'll never forget, not even knowing Jordan's story, the words were, Jordan, you were made exactly as our Heavenly Father intended you to be. And you will recover. And I will be with you. And I remember the parents kind of looking at each other. And I, I, I think they were kind of making sense of what kind of what was happening And it was this loving Heavenly Father sharing with me, sharing with them, sharing with her that this was her. And and she she was not to change. She was not to pretend or hide. And and that was made very clear to me at that moment. The other thing is I left that room and the family was there. And I see how the Lord's hand, how he doesn't force us to make this decision or that, but how he can I believe through inspiration and through help start to put things together. I look back and the only time I'd, one of the few times I'd ever been to enterprise, one of the few times I'd ever gotten off early, went with my wife and the Lord preparing a young bishop and a young nurse for a terrible day, connecting them with others who would also be supporting and being part of this story. And you see all these little things, knowing them for all this time all the breadcrumbs that were put in place for this group to now come together and help this little girl heal. And the words that came. And then unbeknownst to us, that experience, which by the way, Jordan is doing great today and made a full recovery. And I get to speak with her parents quite often and always obviously check in and she's become an important person in our life. And not only because of that situation, which was life-altering, but also because it prepared us for when our son, unbeknownst to us, just a few years later, would then come out to us at the about the exact same age as Jordan was, about 13, 14. And how that experience put us in a more receptive place. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what's interesting, so interesting about that story is 
Bishop Jordan Sharp at that time had no idea that she was gay and that she was suffering with immense shame and guilt and felt that there was no place for her. And he still was able to, to give her a message that Heavenly Father wanted her to hear. And it, it was amazing. It was amazing to be able to tell her, you don't need to change. You are made the way you are. And we love you the way you are. So when our son sent us a text message, actually, it was a really beautiful, wise He's always been wise, but he he's just kind of an old soul. Our son Sam is. Um, he's a kid that never got into trouble. He doesn't do anything wrong, honestly. No. I mean, that sounds really not like reality, but it is. He's just kind of a people pleaser and a peacemaker and wise. And he texted us and said, I don't know if you have guessed but I'm gay. And if you have questions, what's funny is the first thing he said is if you have questions, you can go to LDS.org and there's resources on there for parents. And so we did go there. And I mean, we'd gone, you know, I've, I've looked, I would looked at all those things before, but to tell you the truth, there, there was not a lot of resources for us and for the things we started to deal with, um, with the mental health and the complexities of the way we teach about eternal families and the way we teach about the way life should look. That was, there's no answers for that. And so we had to rely heavily on our communication with Sam and each other and our communication with Heavenly Father. And I felt like I was getting pretty clear answers, but sometimes those answers felt contradictory, I guess, to what maybe I was hearing from the pulpit. And so that was difficult to kind of lean on, lean on our own experiences and our own reality that looks very different from maybe what's prescribed to us. So. Well, and I, I'm going to admit something here, Richard, maybe for some of the other dads or, or people that weren't as in tune as Liz and the mothers who just know things better. <laughs> I was, you know, very supportive of Sam and, and never said anything cruel or me. Never. But I, I'm going to admit something here. You know, I, I wondered, is, it, is this, is he just questioning things? Is he confused? He shouldn't come out because, you know, he's young and, and how can he know? And these are things that are kind of going on in my mind. And I had great conversations with Sam about it and we would talk and, and, and I just have to echo. I mean, Sam, you know, Sam came to our family to teach us. I mean, that is no doubt about it. <laughs> we do our best to teach him a thing or two, but he is the one that is teaching us and, and bringing his old dad along. But I, I remember, you know, we, we did kind of all the things I think that you would expect a, a, a strong 
family from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to do, and that is to, okay, love, but pray, and let's get a, a counselor with an LDS background, and let's see, you know, let's let's talk through this and see what we can do. And, and that was the plan for me. And I, and I even said to Sam, let's just hold off and let's, you know, let's let this thing unfold and don't put pressure on yourself right now. And you're young and all the things. Well, I, I saw on my end, I, I saw a bright, a boy who was always just very bright and kind. And, and I just saw it start to flicker. I saw it start to, to darken. And I remember one day in particular, I pulled up his grades and they were not good, which was very strange for him. This is probably a year or two later. And I remember I pulled him into the family room. I sat him down, explain your grades and what's going on. And, and it's a moment that it was very good for me, but very difficult. And what happened was Sam put kind of his head down between his legs and just started sobbing. So I stopped, you know, ranting and I said, what's up? And he just unleashed with the things he's feeling and thinking and how he feels in the church and the shame and the things he was hearing at the school things he's hearing and or seminary or church or just, just verbiage that we commonly say that we don't realize the ramifications of how hurtful that can be for someone who is gay. And even though we had started to hear things differently, it was still so much different for him. And he's educating me and he's just going through it. And I, I had the exacts as he's talking and I can say this in front of anyone. Everyone has these moments of lightning or, or just pure inspiration that they feel that they connect with the divine. And just like with Jordan, I needed this message twice. And, and it was, these words, do not do anything to put shame on my son. I remember specifically it was my son, which reminded me that although Sam was my son on earth, but he's a little bit on loan, and there was there was another father. And that was a reminder. And then he says, this is him. This is how I made this boy. And don't you, don't you, who are you basically to try to change him? I didn't think I was trying to change him. But I now that I look back, I think that was my hope. And from that moment, I made, I'm, I made a personal and solemn promise that I would do nothing to bring shame into this beautiful boy's life. Because a father in heaven had told me this message on two different occasions, <laughs> wow. two very extreme um, examples, and I would never do it again. And I have not. I, I mean, since that day, I, I changed everything. And I saw him begin to come back, to thrive, and to be this boy that I remember. And I can tell you, Sam, today was student of the year. Wow. And he's getting ready to, he's thinking of running for student body president. And he has found his, his place and his, his, um, himself. And, and I, I only attribute it to just doing the very basics of just loving someone for who they are. <laughs> 
and and accepting differences and uniquenesses and and what a wonderful concept that that is that a heavenly father has given us to have these differences and that has changed everything for me now that also kind of doubled down on a little bit on the challenges we were finding within the church not with god <laughs> that had never been stronger for me but within the church, you just find this complex environment. So that's kind of, you know, and there's many other things that we can share, but I think that at least we, we chose to tell those stories to kind of just share a typical Mormon family that in, in kind of a, a, a powerful and emotional fashion has learned a lot. And one thing I, I, I do want to say is, you know, what seemed at first text to be like, oh, my gosh, what what is going to happen and how do we deal with this? And thinking of the difficulties for your child and, and all the complexities with missions and all the things to this has been one of the actually most coolest things that has ever brought us um, as, as close to the divine as I've ever been. And so there's just kind of these, again, just seem opposing forces, but for us overall has been special and good. Well, what happened to just going back to getting him a counselor is we got a counselor because we wanted to know how to parent him. We both at that point, recognized that LGBTQ youth have a much higher incident of suicide and depression. And we knew that firsthand from our experience with our little neighbor. And so we wanted to make sure we were creating an environment where he could be healthy and and happy and we were being the best parents possible for him. And the first counselor just was did not work out for us. And Sam was trying to tell me that it didn't, that this wasn't working. This wasn't going well. And I just was, let's just keep trying. Let's just keep trying. And finally, I just listened to him. (laughs) We've got a different counselor and she was also faith affirming LGBTQ. Well, she was faith affirming and LGBTQ affirming. And we found a space where we fit, where he thrived. He loved talking to her. She brought our, helped us bring our family closer. She helped us be loving parents. And really all it took was for us to actually just listen and quit putting our ideas and our limited knowledge out there, but actually stopping and saying, how does this make you feel? You know, what is this like for you? Throwing out the template that we thought was fixed. (laughs) What, you know, what words, what things are harmful to you? What things are we doing or saying that are harmful to you? And once we could talk about those things openly, our home just became so safe and loving and close. And he, like Jordan said, he started to thrive. And I mean, we could just talk about him now. (laughs) And it wasn't a problem. This isn't a problem he had. This is him. This is Sam. He's the same person He's the same person he was the day before he told us than he was the day he told us. And we just needed to treat him the same. But 
learn a little bit from him and from his experiences. And like Jordan, I said, if you, if we were to deny that or to deny our family, that opportunity, I don't think we would reach the full measure of our creation. I know heavenly father wants us to go through this. I know he wants me to learn. And I know he made my son the way he made him for this opportunity for us to learn. We've because of Jordan's Facebook post, you've talked about, I can't even tell you the amount of people that have reached out to Jordan and I saying, my daughter's gay. I live in a small town. People are so close-minded. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid if she comes out, she's going to be ostracized. And I just say, go to, I mean, the first steps for me were your podcast, Richard, um, Allison Dayton's podcast, and Charlie Bird's books. I mean, I just went to Deseret Book, bought those books. My entire world opened up and it was so spiritual and beautiful. And I felt hope and so, instead of despair because I just did not have anyone that could fully understand that was, that was helping me at that time, honestly. And so those things were our lifeline. And I listened to every podcast and listened to every word every day for hours on end. <laughs> and I really think it helped us just blossom. It was just, it was just what we, we really needed to hear from other people. Um, this is just sacred ground listeners. I worry that anything I say will take away from what Liz and Jordan have just shared with us. Um, I'm honored that you share these stories. This is appropriate forum, I think, for this. It brings honor to Jordan Mitchell, I think is her name, and the Mitchell family and the grandparents and um, the spirit-led experiences, that priesthood blessing. It builds faith. It helps us understand how our heavenly parents see their children. I'm grateful, Liz, that you as a nurse were there, had the, you know, the presence of mind to know what needed to be done medically to assess that situation. I love the prayer with your kids and the Mitchell kids. Um, I love your blessing, not knowing. I love your wording leading into that blessing that I just, Heavenly Father, spoke. I love that you gave the father a chance to give that blessing, but in this situation, it wasn't, wasn't able to do that. It was such a thoughtful thing to do. And then um, the blessing you gave Jordan, Jordan, I don't know if you listen, I don't know if the Mitchells listen, but Jordan, um, I love the way the Sharps talk about you. I can see you as a two-year-old coming down that hill, um, totally in control. I, I would have thought you're totally out of control and, I'm glad you're alive and I'm glad you got through that. And you have a great life ahead of you as the Sharps have talked about and, um, and the Mitchell family and the extended family that supports you. And, um, Sam, if you're listening, how gutsy of you to text your parents at age 13 that you're gay. I have to think that's a credit to you and your maturity and the way your parents talk about you and, you're an old soul in a 13-year-old body at that point. And I, and credit to the Sharp parents, you're not taking any credit here, but something about your family culture and maybe the Mitchell experience led Sam at a t tender age of 13 to come out to his parents. Um, and that's a credit to the family culture. I think that's a moment of, even though that set you on a more difficult path, 
I think it's a path you are glad to be on at this point because of all the lessons you've learned and the love that's in your home and you wouldn't undo that, even though that initial text was a little jarring of how we're going to navigate this. And I love this sort of the top of the iceberg experience where you see Sam grades going downhill and that's what you see on top of the iceberg. But I love that this kind of tension-filled moment with dad talking to Sam and I love you talking about that, Jordan. It, you know, and you were sort of saying I was hard on Sam, and but as but he put his legs between his head between his legs. I think you're talking, and then fully opened up about how he was feeling, and you got it. Um, and I I think that's like my I talk about Apollo thirteen. I think that's one of your finest moments as a family. This is a you know this is an Apollo thirteen like story. Is this is your finest hour and. Sam, it's your finest hour for your guts to just continue to talk to your parents and not shut down and explain to them complexity about how you're feeling, even though it's hard to put that into words. And this is me talking to some of you younger people that may not know how to have these conversations with your parents. And they may be difficult, but it may lead to this sort of this, this beautiful love story the Sharps are sharing with us. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of parents listening Jordan and Liz, that have impressions that come into their mind. Their story is not just like your story. They may not even have kids that are out or even suspected kids that are out, could be out. But I think um, that's maybe one of my invitations is act on the impressions you're feeling right now on what you should do in your circle of influence as a parent, as a local leader. Um, If you're LGBTQ, there are things that would be helpful for you as you're listening um, you're a closeted LGBTQ person. Um, write your own story. Sam's story may help you. Jordan's story may help you. I think all of us would invite you if you're suicidal to not go down that road to get help. Everybody I know that, you know, has survived a suicide attempt is grateful they're alive. Um, so we would invite you to stay and do everything you can to stay, even if it's just one more day. But tell people you're suicidal. Tell people about your plan. Get help. Um, you have, just like Sam's life, he's a great life ahead of him. Uh, more thoughts that come to your mind. I'm just so deeply moved. I could talk for the rest of the podcast about what I've heard from you. Um, I just love, and your listeners will link to the Facebook post. If you haven't read the Sharps Facebook post, it you know, it's eight or ten paragraphs, and it's powerful. You could read that post, by that Facebook post word for word right now, and people would be tremendously moved. We will link to that in the show notes. Please read that. It's powerful. It's well-written and there's no shame. I mean, the way you talk about Sam in this Facebook post is, I think our heavenly parents would talk about Sam. And there's, you talk about shame earlier, both of you, but there's, you just love this kid and you're so proud of this kid. And for him to read that and every LGBTQ person to read that, to hear LDS parents talk about their queer kid that way, I think reaches a lot of people and helps people to learn to think that way. And to me, listeners, that doesn't change our doctrine. There's nothing you wrote in this in this Facebook post that changes anything our doctrine. It just helps us see people where I think our heavenly parents see people. And if you learn to see people. So we've got more time. We've got about 20 minutes. Um, I'd love to have you keep sharing um, thoughts, ideas, suggestions for parents, 
local leaders, just wherever you want to go on this podcast. You could tell us more about Sam. You could tell us about the trip you took to London and Paris and how Sam earned that. Anywhere you want to go. Yeah, one thing I kind of wanted to add as we thought about coming on the podcast was um, there was in our story we mentioned we didn't know at first if Sam should tell everyone in our family, if we if we should just talk about it as parents and him. He was very, very embarrassed about it at first. And I also did, I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing. I didn't realize I it hurt him quite a bit that we didn't talk about it more often with him. So some people say, and then once I started learning, once I started educating myself and hearing other people's stories, I I started to advocate and just say, you need to tell more people. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good for our family. We're going to learn how to love people. We're going to learn about, you know, what your experience has been like. We won't be so close-minded and, and, um, he was, you know, he would kind of consider that, but he was still pretty young. But what I wanted to just mention was if you are someone listening, it's so important that people know that you're a safe place to go. And so the way we talk about LGBTQ people is so important. You don't realize that someone may not be out or they get, they get hyper, hyper sensitive. And we did as parents as well, the way we listened in church or the way we listened to our friends talk totally changed. Our ears changed once we knew that our family dynamic had changed. And um, so it's important for them to come out. Jordan and I just, our personal experiences, almost every single relationship we had that was important to us, not every single one, but a lot had said something that had maybe negatively impacted us or hurt us in some way whether it be something about a movie they didn't like or a flippant remark about someone who is gay, nothing, you know, really severe, or, but just little things that we, that hurt us. Once we told all those people, every single person we opened up to and told them about our experience reciprocated with love, a willingness to learn and, uh, People asked for forgiveness if they'd ever offended us. And that was so amazing because then it gave value to our painful experiences and gave value to the thing we were going through and saying, this is worth it when we can teach people. So once Sam came out and we and we were able to be more open, our relationship strengthened in almost every, every aspect with, you know, from our bishop to our grandparents. And both of our families were amazing. I want to mention that as well. Like every single family member was so loving. Nobody even remotely ostracized us. Like I said, we were born to great families, but it is important to be open if you, if you can be. And I I would encourage you not to, to hide and feel shame. And and we know every situation is different and and every dynamic is different. And so everyone needs to be, 
mindful and prayerful and, and, and do that. But at least for us, every time, and, and at one point it was funny because Sam said, that's actually my favorite part now because I can mm-hmm. help, I can help shed light on this and I can, and, and between Liz's family, all Mormon families, my, we've got probably what, 75, 80 people, just our extended family that are all now these just, and they all knew Sam, right? So they, for them to know this kid and, and knew who he was, and now they're all kind of these ambassadors of love for LGBT. I mean, it's, I've just seen this spread in a good way. And so, you know, I know that's not everyone's experience and I, and that's, but, and not that we've done it perfectly. You know, that's not what we're trying to say, but there's power. There's power in sharing who you are. And one thing I'd like to add to that, again, I'm going to talk to maybe the dads again for a minute, because the dads a lot of times are the fixers. And we can just come in here and we're going to give, tell us a problem and I'll give you the answers. Well, I've learned that doesn't work here at all. In fact, not only does it not work, it has just a terrible, you know, backfiring effect. So my my advice to, and this is what, um, you know, Richard, you have just been brilliant in and, and what started you down this path is just saying, hey, I'm going to listen. Now, I'm going to take the pressure off. So if someone comes out to you, your child, your, your friend, whatever, I, I encourage you to just stop. You don't need to fix. You're not going to fix someone's identity more than you're going to fix if they're right or left-handed or the color of their hair. And you're just going to say, tell me about your, thank you for sharing this. Tell me what it's been like to be gay and a, a member of the church. Tell me what it's been like to experience this in your family or your school and just ask some questions and shut up. (laughs) And I think that can be just probably the greatest advice I would give. That's like step one, just listen and and what you've been sharing for years and, and learn. And then that step two is, is really, you know, starting to dig in. I just met an awesome, you know, LGBTQ youth who shared this story of how he went in and, and found his, his dad who he never thought would come around reading one of these books that Liz mentioned and he saw his dad learning on his own. And then that just softened both of their hearts. So after you listen and then you act numbers two, just actively, just try to learn what you can. And you'll be shocked how this just opens so many doors and your vision. And then number three, and to Liz's point, and why I wanted to share this is when you're ready, and this is going to be different for everyone. But yeah, showing outward support and that you're a safe space is huge. And that's why I felt like doing my Facebook because I had seen the power that came from just saying, I see you, I love you. And here I am and let us connect and let us break bread and let us cry together and sing together and all the things and the power that comes from that. And so number three is just, if you're willing, show outward um, support whether that's a rainbow flag, whether that is doing a podcast, whether that is posting, uh, whatever you're comfortable with, that step three will truly change you. And um, I think when you don't know what to do, those three steps are pretty easy. And and you can just follow that and, and have a miraculous experience. I love that. Keep sharing. I would say too, it's really important to say, 
So for example, if you're a bishop who's never had any experience with this, or you're a parent or a grandparent, it's better to say, I don't know, than to give an answer that maybe you've just regurgitated from something. It, it's better to say, I don't know, what do you think about that? Or let's ponder that. Let's one of the best uh, pieces of advice that um, I learned on Allison Dayton's podcast, she just said, as you've, as you've pondered and prayed about Heavenly Father's LGBTQ children, what have you learned? I mean, that just says it all. Are you just answering because of your predisposed ideas of what what it means to be to have a different identity or do you know someone and have you listened and learned about someone have you prayed to heavenly father and asked your heavenly parents you know what do i need to learn about these people what have you learned as you've prayed about them that will lead you in the right direction curiosity yeah. is is truly the recipe here um, not judgment but curiosity and and truly just being as as Christ was. I mean, it's not rocket science. He he spent his time with those that were judged and forgotten and ostracized and put away. And that's where he went and he connected and listened and loved. And just follow those steps, and you'll be absolutely um really, really surprised i i there was this a quote that um really changed me and i i believe i put this in i think i put this in my facebook but um it was one that and again going back to i guess my theme of the day of we gotta change fix everyone and they gotta fit into this certain thing and that's the only way to find happiness and joy and and i don't think you know, in many ways, that's that's what our Savior was saying at all. I, I think he was giving good instruction and, and really trying to help bring people along. But when it comes to some of these things, when in doubt, when you don't know what to do, you just love and listen. And, and let's leave the stu tough stuff for the Savior. But Wes Angelosi said this quote that, again, going back to my moment of just quit fixing, and he says, go and love someone exactly as they are, and then watch how quickly they transform into the greatest, truest version of themselves. When one feels seen and appreciated in their own essence, one is instantly empowered. I witnessed that with my son, Sam. I witnessed all he needed was what any of us need. It was a fertile foundation fertile soil where he could just be and reach his measure of his creation. And that is what he taught me. And I'll tell you, this um, new group of LGBTQ folks that we have just found to be a part of, they are dynamite. <laughs> I mean, you just talk about a group with color and love and has been so far placed on the margins that they can't even fathom um, judging someone for the color of their skin or the color of their hair or how many earrings they have. They just don't do it. 
And so they are, you are just brought in with love. And it's, you know, I, I, I want to share this one quick thing. I, you know what, he is, he's going to be okay with me sharing this. <laughs> I'm sure he is. And cause like, we've talked about it before, but we have um, one of our deans here at the college is from Puerto Rico and he's amazing. And his name's uh, Eli Bermudez and he is from Puerto Rico and he is married to his partner of a long time. Who's a psychologist. So he's a Dean of a college and a psychologist, super successful. And I've had a great experience and relationship with Ellie. Well, we go to the Sharks, go to our first um, Pride uh, Festival festival in St. George with our whole family. <laughs> and we walk in and Ellie sees me from across the grass and literally runs and says, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I say, well, we're, we're, we're here. To, we're here to support. We're here to support. He goes, oh, you, you brought your family. And I go, yeah, I brought my family. He goes, your beautiful family. He said, yes. He goes, and you're wearing, you're wearing rainbow pants. Like he's just out of his mind. And he's hugging us and he's there. And I realized, I thought I had a great relationship with Ellie. We'd never had conflict and I'd never given him a reason to think I wasn't a safe space for him. And yet it wasn't until that moment I realized this man who's who's about to retire. So successful. So successful. He has had this place in his heart, never knowing the people he walks around with, the people he works with. Do they truly see me? Do they truly love me for who I am? Do they accept me? Do they? I'm not sure. Wow. And that moment when I just said, here I am with my little pin. And now he knows. Wow. And our relationship, it just went to a different level. And that's how it is with anyone that you go through this process with. And it will not only benefit them, it will benefit you so profoundly. So profoundly. Like, I, I, I truly, I say, I wish everyone had a Sam or an Ellie or whoever it is. And the truth is, statistically speaking, you are going to. <laughs> As as people get brave, as they are accepted, as they come out more fully and more completely, and you look at the numbers, it will be in your family, in your work, in your neighborhood. There are children right now. There are coworkers right now. And so you have these opportunities. And as you you create that safe space for them to come and you can look at them in the eye and say, I am here and I see you and you see me, and then just watch the magic begin. Wow. I learned something that I've never really thought about is the coworker and how you had a good relationship with his coworker, but how he never knew how you really felt, even though you were not homophobic and pretty probably pretty thoughtful in your comments, but to actually show up with your family. And to me, you you didn't sell out the doctrine of our church or of Christ's teachings, you honored it by showing love, by showing up for him. I don't think you crossed a line in anything. You actually honored um, that line of love for your neighbor and how much healing and helpful it was for him. And this is a mature guy that's at the end of his career. I mean, I, and still it just reminds me how much we all need that. Um, talk about you're doing so good. I don't want to ask any questions because I just had this impression <laughs> 
you have more stuff to share with us unaided. But Sam's the oldest of five, so some would say, and maybe you felt this way, well, I'm fine Sam being out to us, but I'm worried about, quote-unquote, the negative influence on the younger kids. Um, I, I have a feeling you don't feel that way anymore. So talk about, I mean, Sam could be your youngest, and all your kids would have aged out of the family, and there would be less sort of direct interaction with Sam. Talk about just the birth order and how you feel about Sam being the oldest and his impact on, I'm not trying to do a leading question here. I think how you know how you're going to answer it on your younger kids. Yeah. So um, this is something that, you know, can be a little bit painful when people assume that being gay is contagious. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of silly, but people really do people really do have those types of concerns that the exposure is going to somehow change <laughs> the trajectory of another child's life. Sam's the oldest of five kids. And like I said, we started our family, I mean, completely, completely in line with all the gospel teachings and taught our kids. We groomed him to be straight. We groomed him <laughs> to be straight. I mean, we watched every Disney movie with a prince and a princess. And we went, you know, we, we, you know, every love story, every movie is a man and a woman. And you know what? Sam still came to us. He's gay. His DNA and his, his Sam is gay. His, he is a gay man. And we love that about Sam, his brothers and sisters, you know, some of them are young. We don't know what life will be like for them, but there's, if anything, Sam is an amazing, wonderful influence on them. And I'm going to be sad when he leaves and go to, and goes to college in a year and a half. And if it's taught our younger children, anything it's to love and embrace all of God's children. When we talk about the gathering of Israel, I think, oh, are we just gathering this perfect, beautiful wheat in this one section? Or are we going to be open enough to gather all of Israel? It's not just one little section. Don't we want all of the, I mean, aren't we commanded to gather all of God's children? So I'm, I'm very genuine and honest when I say this has been a huge blessing. Has it caused a little conflict with the way we see our relationship with the church? Yes, but it has deepened our testimony and made us really work hard to understand what God's intentions are for us and for our children. And as we've humbled ourselves and been true to the experiences that we've had, I feel that I'm living the full measure of my creation. If I were to deny the things that I've learned from having Sam, I think it would go against what God had in store for me. And so that's where conflict comes in. But I also know that I can live with integrity in proclaiming my truth and proclaiming what I, what I know as Sam's mother. And I say this to people often, but if you think of any relationship as close to our, the relationship the Savior has with each one of us or God and our Heavenly Mother, it would be that of a child and their parent. And we, we established our family on love and commitment, and we had children. We really wanted children. We wanted to raise them. 
to be the best people they were supposed to be, but to also be who God intended them to be. And my, my integrity tells me that I'm leading my family the way I'm supposed to right now. And I've led Sam in the way we've supposed to, we have supposed to be leading him. So that's where we are right now. It's not an easy place to be all the time. I'm definitely a black and white person. I'm a rule follower. I find safety in that. So some things are a little bit hard to say to people out loud because they haven't heard these thoughts, but they're, they are truth. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep doing what the spirit has led me to do and keep being the mother that I feel I'm supposed to be for my child and for my children. Yeah, I love that. I love um, we're a family-centered, church-supported, um, and I think we do everything we can to strengthen families. And I, I hope as we hear parents supporting their LGBTQ youth and oh, whatever path they take, that our ward families and our and our extended families they don't our support parents as they're supporting their kids and. Parents don't feel people are looking over the shoulder, judging them for the way they're parenting. And um, you have, you know, the stewardship, everything I understand, and our church is designed to help you um, and not judge you as you're supporting your kids. And I think you're doing a great job of that, using the principles that we're taught as parents. Talk about the backstory of this Facebook post. Did anything trigger it? And was Sam broadly out at the time or? Um, mm. obviously he knew you were going to do this. Um, just talk because usually it's the kiddo that leads and then the parents follow if they're going to do anything. And I sense this was broader than anything Sam did. I'm not sure that's true, but just, and what it meant to Sam to suddenly have this thing sort of go viral about his story. Talk about yeah. just that part of the story. Well, I, I want to say for Sam, <laughs> what's really interesting is he's kind of, so far beyond where we all are <laughs> that he doesn't need That's these interesting podcasts and things. And so, you know, for him, I told him I, I wanted to do it. I felt compelled to do it for whatever reason. I had a number of them. He just said, okay. <laughs> you know? And he didn't really feel the need to kind of publicly go. And he had been telling people, and it's really interesting that he's safe and comfortable with where he is. But for me, it was kind of a journey of that post was a, a combination of personal experience, listening to you, Richard, listening to others, writing down quotes that were meaningful to me as, uh, you know, my safe space. And I wrote this in the post for the last few years has just been Christ focusing on his life. And if something resonated with me in a podcast, I write it down and I had these lists of notes and and I thought, gosh, I, I want to share this a little bit. I, I want to share what I've learned. I want to share how I feel about this population and what I've learned and, and that we can simultaneously love God and love LGBTQ. Those are, those are not opposite forces in the world. And so um, I didn't know how that was going to go. <laughs> there was a lot of our friends that probably had no clue. And Liz mentioned this, though, I as I posted that and, and just kind of embraced, you know, braced myself. OK, what does this mean? Uh, we were contacted from people all over the nation, texts, emails, 
phone calls, people I hadn't talked to in decades, in a lifetime. Oh my gosh, this is just happening. My son just came out. My daughter just came out. Oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know what to do here. And I realized this under this undercurrent that like people just didn't feel safe to talk about and they didn't know how to articulate their feelings and they didn't know who could talk, you know, who to, and then someone was kind of articulating their feelings. And I've met people for lunch. I've met people yeah. at night. I've met, and, and you know this, I mean, they just, and I just got a little kind of piece of what you're feeling, but it did make me realize that this is, this is important that we have, this is something that we cannot ignore. We should not ignore and I think the the thing that uh, if if there's one thing I last thing I, I think I could share that I would love to share, and this may sound a little harsh, but I, I believe because of for whatever reasons, good faithful Latter Day Saints they feel that it is almost against their religion to to love and accept an LGBTQ person because they feel so conflicted. And I just want to reiterate what you've shared a few times that we we don't need to change anything in the church to give people permission to love. And what, what does it mean like that? Oh, we've given people, we tell people to be nice to everyone. Okay, well, let me give you a few examples. If we're in ward councils asking if an LGBTQ youth can come to youth conference, that's not showing love. If we are discussing if our gay aunt is welcome in our home, to me, just, just Jordan speaking, that is not showing love. And these conversations are happening. Can we go to a gay wedding? Can my child be friends with an LGBTQ child? You know, is this again? I think if you boiled all this down and if this, and again, I, I'm just my perception, but if the savior were here and we were to ask and we love these people, it would be an overwhelming yes. And I, and I, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to admit that I, it took um, proximity for me to really get here with someone that I knew and love. And I, I, that shouldn't be the case. But um, I, I, what I have learned and what I've experienced, this is not false love. And this is not against the gospel of Jesus Christ. To bring in all for something that is part of their identity that does no harm. And they cannot change. Can, they cannot change. And, and that's what we have the sharks at least have come to fill in our family and experience. I'm not here to speak on behalf of anyone other than the sharks, but I think it's okay if nothing else to just love and open your heart and listen, and then just be your own judge of what happens after that. I love um, both of you and what you're sharing. I love the gathering of Israel and taking us to the different parts of the wheat field, so to speak, Liz, and inviting us to gather in all parts of the wheat field. I don't know if you said the word wheat field, but that's the vigil imagery that came mm -hmm. into your mind and not just gather the wheat that kind of looks like us. It feels like us. And this is part of both of your invitation. It's part of the gathering of Israel to gather 
the Sams um, and the Jordans. And um, I agree with your point. There's many closeted people, and I don't think that's Satan confusing his children. I think it's just um, people are just not, there's just a group of people not born straight, and they're able to come out earlier because the way society is improving, but it doesn't make it easy. I love that Sam sort of doesn't need to talk about this. And I think that's a, the thing that came to my mind when you describe Sam. Sam is he's past internalized homophobia. He is just, this is um, who I am. Um, a gay member of the community. I'm a gay high school kid. I'm involved in my school. I'm moving on with my life. And in a way, it's not underdefining him or overdefining him. Sam, if you're listening, I hope that's okay. It just seems like this is part of who he is. And it's a credit to Sam and your family that he's sort of over this sort of internalized homophobia or any homophobia that exists in the family circle. And maybe even in the high school, because he seems to be accepted in his high school and he seems to be out in his high school. And that may be choppy. And there may be some difficult experiences there. I would, I would assume there are. <laughs> um, but respect for you, Sam. And to me, that's a credit for. Um, the youth that are stepping forward, knowing this about them, and often it's their personal relationship with their heavenly parents and parents that accept them, that helps them accept themselves and move on in their life in a thriving type of way. Any thoughts on that? I don't want to paint a story that's different. Well, I think you're right on. You know, one funny thing that Sam says, <laughs> I think is very telling. Is we'll say, hey, Sam, so-and-so's an ally. And they go, oh, again, he's kind of beyond it. And one day he goes, I kind of hate that term. I'm like, why? You know, it shows like, yeah, so they understand this. He goes, you're just telling me, hey, that person's nice to people. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, do we really have to say who will be nice to people and who won't? And we have to label them that way. And I thought. That's kind of an eye opener. It was an eye opener. for Now. Not to take anything away from allies because they are needed and we we need to tell people we're allies. But it is unfortunate that that isn't even necessary. And Sam brought that to our attention the other day. <laughs> and we should probably say Sam is attending an art school in St. George here mm -hmm. that has done a great job of fostering um, inclusiveness and fostering more artistic students, maybe students that are a little bit different than mainstream students at a mainstream high school. So he, and yet they have those two. Yeah. This school has, it has all different kinds of students, but, but that, that has been a good yeah. uh, resource for us and has helped him grow tremendously. Also, it just goes to show again, the environment their their tagline is you belong. That's what it is. Wow. You belong. <laughs> and and if you go there, you can feel that the second you walk in the door, everyone is welcome. Come as you are. And we're going to grow together. And we're going to learn. We're going to create. And, you know, what's interesting is they're not just a great art school, too. They're in the top in the state for ACT scores. And I accredit it to just, you know, teachers that just say, come as you are and let us build and let's start there. And they are just thriving. This is a beautiful organization. I said to the principal just the other day. If every community had a school like this, this problem would all but disappear because we there would just be a safe haven to, like I said in my quote, become your truest version of yourself. And we're, we are grateful and lucky to have that organization here in St. George, Utah Arts Academy. There's a plug. That's great. <laughs>
I love that Sam is thriving and I love that he found that spot and you found that spot. And that's what we want as parents is to put our kids in situations where they thrive and they belong. Um, the quote you mes- mentioned from Wes Angelosi, if I say that right, is in your Facebook post, listeners. It's a terrific quote. Um, so we'll link to that Facebook post and you can read that quote word for word. It's terrific and powerful. And I think it's consistent with sort of the what Christ teaches. It's putting words to his doctrine. Uh, more things that come to your mind you'd like to share before we close. Um, I I wanted to add also that as far as our church leaders have been with us, I, I know that's a question that comes up a lot on your yeah. podcast. They have been really amazing, really loving, very kind. They have done a great job at listening and learning and loving. We are we recently got a new state president who has really gone above and beyond to love us and listen to us and help us. And I did, I did want to give credit to our ward family, although, you know, things are difficult and some things we just don't have answers to. And I just sit and wait and I, I may never get answers or or things may never come to pass the way I want them to. I do feel love and I do feel support from our leaders. And and they've been very, very good with Sam and with us in this situation. Yeah, I'll just end with while the Savior's figuring everything out till the end, we can just love and take off the pressure. That's what our ward has done, our bishop, our stake president, our family. We don't have all the answers. But we are loving each other, and that's what we'll do until we get further light and knowledge. That's great. Um, thank you, um, Liz and Jordan Sharp. And Sam, your text four years ago at age 13, um, I have to think there's maybe people alive because you came out and um, people that you've directly influenced, your parents' ministry now of being in this space, all the people that are reaching out to them and the tools they're giving them to help um, raise their queer kids. I don't know if that's true, Sam, but um, there's a lot of people whose lives are improved because of you and that text and all the things you're doing. And that's me not only talking to Sam, but it's talking to all the LGBTQ um, people in our church and in society and and you being authentic, if you feel that's the right thing for you to do and it's the right thing to come out and feel impressed to do that, um, it can it can be painful, but it can also be incredibly healing and very helpful. Proximity is a word that's um, kind of been introduced at times in our podcast. It was the Martins who had a transgender child die by suicide. There were a few episodes back that talked about the importance of proximity. And it's all kind of theoretical until you're proximate. And that's what happened to me as a YSA bishop with a couple gay men. That's obviously in a more day-to-day and a more where you this is part of your family with Sam. But um, we've got to get proximate. So if you don't know LGBTQ people, you've got to get proximate and hear their stories. And on behalf of all of our listeners, the Sharps, thank you for um, your lives you're blessing professionally, both of your careers, the lives you're blessing in your church assignments, the lives now you're blessing in this kind of 
ministry that doesn't show up on LDS tools, the specific calling, but all these people now that you're a safe place for and um, giving them perspective to be in this space. And thank you for being on this podcast. Anything else come to mind? Well, thank you for having us and for all the work you do. And I'll link in the Facebook post when I post this. If you want to find Jordan or Liz, I'll, you know, when I put this on Facebook, I'll tag them. So you can find them um, that way. So you can DM them on Facebook if you want to connect directly with them. But this is Richard Osler and Liz and Jordan Sharp signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.